Father God, thank you for Rod and all that he um, does for us in serving us uh, in uh, being diligent in the Word and studying it. And we pray that you would help us be diligent as we hear what he has to say and what you're saying to us. That it would do us good in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. We got some sound for? Yep, we have. Oh, yes, that's good. Right, well, we're continuing today in, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. If we can have the PowerPoint somewhere or other. It's not responding. Would you believe? <laughs> there we go. Okay. Anyway, 1 Corinthians, this, it's been a real battle to bring this to you this morning, actually, and I'm not surprised we've got, still got a battle on our hands. On Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we were helping our daughter move. Our daughter lives in Gravesend, so we were down in Gravesend. And then on Saturday, we went to the post-communist Nations Day in Bishop Stortford on Saturday, so we were away Wednesday to Saturday. And um, so it meant that I needed to finish preparing this largely on Tuesday. On Tuesday morning, my computer had a major heart attack. I rang paramedic Paul, who came and did what he could, but unfortunately, when it was arrived at the computer hospital in Smallgate, it was pronounced dead. So, that was Tuesday morning. I needed to finish this. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I now own a laptop for the first time. And uh, the guy there downloaded everything from the hard drive onto my laptop. And uh, that was fine. And I got the PowerPoint more or less done. And uh, I thought, well, I can finish it off at my daughter's and then send it on to Tom except that uh, Sky decided to withdraw internet from my daughter 24 hours before they promised. <laughs> so it was a bit, a big, bit of a hassle uh, this week. But we are going to look at what Paul says to the Corinthians about idol feasts, which you might think, well, I haven't got any idols and feasts, whatever, whatever. Well, we'll see how this applies to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up, while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and from who, um, for whom we live, and there is but one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. 
Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We're no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block for the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you, with all your knowledge, eating at an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. And when you sin against them in this way, and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Tough, huh? Right, temples in Corinth. We need to understand the background of this because obviously we don't live in the same culture, we don't live in the same type part of history, same area, etc., etc. We need to understand what is going on here so that we can take the word of God, and apply it to our situation. So we've got to understand what was going on in Corinth. Temples in Corinth, obviously, obviously, were a place of pagan worship. Now that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Secondly, it was a place of feasting. So there were lavish meals in the temple, and the meals themselves were often part of the worship. So you can't really separate the worship and the feasts. Then, that was therefore the place of social focus. That's where people came together. Now, there were different temples worshipping different idols, gods, so-called. So some people went to one and some people went to another and that's where you built up your friendships and your, your relationships, etc., etc. That's what happened there. And if you wanted to be part of society, if you wanted to be known and notable, that's where you went. So it was more than just a place of worship. It was a place where you became someone. Where the people of influence and power would meet. And you think, well, as Christians, that's not a bad place to be where there are people of influence and power and, and so on. But here's the problem. This is what the Corinthians were asking. Are we free to go to these meals or not? So, they had their own answer to this. And this is what Paul is addressing in the letter. This, this is their answer. We know about these things. Talk about placing themselves on top of a pillar and knowing that they were important. This is it. We know about these things. We have knowledge. 
And we know that there's only one God. Yes, once we were worshippers of pagan gods, maybe a particular God, but now we know there's only one God. We know that. That's knowledge we have. We know that there's only one Lord, Jesus. We know that. That's a dangerous thing to know, of course, because Caesar is Lord. But we know there's only one Lord. We know it. And we know that an idol is nothing. It's merely carved out of stone or wood. The idol itself is nothing. We know that. We're sure of it. This is what we believe. We know that there are many so-called gods, but if you add all that together, and it's nonsense to talk about many gods, so we know gods, no, we know that's what people think, doesn't that mean that taking part in these feasts means absolutely nothing? We know all about that. And their attitude is like this. Well, if that troubles you, get some understanding and get over it. That's more or less what, at least the attitude of some of the Corinthian Christians was. We know. And if you don't know, well, put up with it. Get over it. We know we're right. So here's the big issue. Paul's concern in this chapter is... Not just meat bought at the butchers and eaten at home. He'll deal with that in chapter 10. Because chapters 8, 9 and 10 actually form a a unified argument. He'll deal with that eventually. But Paul's concern here is going to feasts held at the temples that are part of the worship of idols and the effect that has on weaker believers, young believers, immature believers, believers who find these things hard to understand. This is the issue. This is the problem. This is what is going on. Are the Corinthian believers free to go to these meals? Four points here, I think. Number one, what's okay for me may not be okay for you. And that goes right the way through the chapter. So there's no particular reference to this. What is okay for me may not be okay for you. I'd like to introduce you to someone who's long been with Jesus, but that's a dear lady who I knew as Auntie Fanny. True? She was my... She was married to my grandfather's cousin. So she... uh, her, Her husband and my grandfather had the same grandfather. Get it? Anyway. (laughs) She had the same name as us. Now, Auntie Fanny was was an enthusiastic, spirit-filled, Jesus-proclaiming Pentecostal of the old style. 
She was amazing. I have not the slightest doubt that her prayers, along with others, but that her prayers prayed me into the kingdom of God. I have not the slightest doubt about that. She was absolutely on fire. You know the sort of person I mean? Every, every other sentence, she was talking about Jesus. Yeah, she was. And I'm, I'm absolutely sure that she prayed me into the ministry that I had as well. I mean, sometimes it, I used to think, oh, stop, you know. It was ever so overwhelming. But, but, I mean, Auntie Fanny and Uncle Fred, now Uncle Fred was not a Christian, and, and she, she, she witnessed, 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 and I don't think he ever made a commitment. Bless her, bless her. She was so 101% for God. But she would say things like this, don't you dare go to the cinema. Don't you dare go to the cinema. You don't know what sort of films you might see. You don't know what influence it might have on you. Don't you do that. She was frightened for the weaker Christian. But her answer was, don't do it. Full stop. Law. So I can remember my mum and dad. I mean, I was only about four or five, but I was old enough to realise this. Don't tell Auntie Fanny that you are, go- <laughs> you are going to the kids' Saturday morning cinema. And I didn't. <laughs> Although... She did allow me to watch, here comes my age, watch Muffin the Mule on (laughs) television. And she said, don't you dare go dancing. Oh, I mean, you do the the waltz. What would that lead to? The quick step? (laughs) It reminds me of Heather's cousin's. Who, who went to a convent school in Canada, and when, when the girls' school had a joint dance with the boys' school, the nuns went around making sure that boys and girls were at least 18 inches apart. <laughs> but it was law. She meant well. She meant well. Don't you dare go dancing. And as for drink, oh my word, a picture like this would have freaked her out. My dad agreed with that, actually. My family were TT because as, as a young teenager, he had to drive his drunken boss home while he did all sorts of horrible things in the car. It put my father off drink for life. And, well, I don't know what she would have made of this because nightclubs didn't exist. That is insanity nightclub, Bangkok. (laughs) She would have felt that it was all insane. Is that the way we handle it? To put people under law? Bless her? No. Because we're not into law, we're into grace. So, where do my rights and freedoms to be myself as a Christian end and my responsibilities and concerns towards you begin. That's the issue. I'm not a free agent. 
We're not free agents in the body of Christ. We belong together. God has bound us together in this beautiful thing called a local church, which is part of the worldwide church. We're bound together. So where do responsibilities start and my freedoms end? Paul's answer, first, or second point, there must be love. Paul says, well, knowledge puffs up. I don't for the one minute believe that Paul is being anti-intellectual here. I've heard a number of preachers and had personally a number of discussions with people down the years where this has been implied. Well, you don't need degrees, you don't need to study things at depth, you don't need Greek and Hebrew. We don't, you don't need them. Yeah, you know, it's just for the simple guy. So your knowledge, your knowledge, it could just puff you up. Now, I don't believe that Paul is anti-intellectual at all. One of the amazing things about the scriptures and about being a Christian is is it can be understood at depth by the most intellectual person you've got and also accepted simply by ordinary Joe public. It's for us all. I don't believe Paul is being anti-intellectual here. What he's saying is that knowledge by itself can lead to pride. And that's what we were seeing in Corinth. We know. You don't, but we know. We could so easily say, I know. You don't, but I know. Mm. But you see, knowledge by itself may easily lead to a lack of concern for, for other people. Because you get so immersed in that, you forget that we're part of a body. And knowledge by itself does not automatically build up the other person. That is what the Corinthians were thinking. Well, if they understood, then they would be built up and be able to cope. But actually knowing stuff does not actually do that. It helps, but by itself, it won't do that. Paul says, it's love that builds If we don't love one another, then our words are empty. Paul's going to come on to that, actually, in chapter 13. You know, we may have all the gifts, we may have all the speech, we may have all the insight, we may have all the supernatural manifestation that is going, but if we do not love each other, then it's all empty. It's like a banging gong and a clashing cymbal, and it's, it's an empty sound. And Paul says here, no. Yet knowledge is important. He's not knocking it. But it's love that builds up. Now, verses 2 and 3, you've got the NIV translation, says this. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. This sounds complicated, doesn't it? But whoever loves God is known by God. Now, we could, we could figure out a way to interpret that. It's not, not untrue. 
But there are earlier manuscripts, and the NIV is based on, who translate it like this. If anyone thinks they've arrived at knowledge, I know it all. Notice that the word something's gone. If you think you've got there, I know it. Paul says, this person does not actually know as they ought to know. Why? Because true knowledge has within it humility and an openness to learn more. But, if anyone loves, notice that God's now gone, this person truly knows, or is known, better translation, truly knows. What does it mean? Think about it. A true knowledge and understanding of God's word and his ways will encourage us to love our brothers and sisters. You see the difference? It's not just knowledge, and actually, it's not just love. But you put the two together, and then we begin to build each other up. We need to learn all that we can. What it means to be a disciple of Jesus. What it means to be a member of the body of Christ. Yes, we need to, we need to know the word. And if we really know the word, then we'll love one another. We will. We're looking doubtful. But we will. Then Paul says there must be no compromise. Having said that, there must be no compromise. Now, the Corinthians were saying, idols nothing. One of the problems we have in this chapter is sorting out what the Corinthians say, what Paul says, and whether Paul quotes the Corinthians or just alludes to what the Corinthians say. So, Paul, the Corinthians say, an idol's nothing, there's only one God. Paul says, ah, there may not be anything to an idol. There may only be one God and all these other gods are false. But when someone, a pagan, comes to an idol, to a temple and worships an idol, he or she believes in what he or she is doing. To them, it's real. We worship one God. The Father, our ultimate source and our ultimate destiny, and we acknowledge one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom God created all things and rescued us. You see the beginnings of the Trinity there. You see that? That God created through Jesus, Father created through the Son. We live for the Father, we're going to the Father, and we do that because of Jesus. Yes, says Paul, we know all of that. Yes. So what does this mean? Attending pagan feasts compromises our foundational beliefs. Question for us. Where 
does compromise begin? Let me illustrate by two stark examples. Here are two illustrations from Christian Today, the online Christian newspaper. And uh, here are two recent headlines or, or notices that appeared in Christian Today on the internet. And this is the first one. A Durham church has been criticised for offering to cover crosses and, and to host Muslim prayers. Now, before we raise our hands in horror and before we, we start criticising them, let's, let's think what they were trying to do. They are set in a Muslim majority area where there are many Muslim uh, people around and they were trying it to the best of their ability to try and bring social cohesion to their community. They were trying to reach out to people who are different to them and to show them love and compassion and they were saying, yes, we can get together. But it was a step too far. Now, the motive was good. Let's not criticise the motive. Let's not criticise them for reaching out to Muslim neighbours. But it was too far. And in fact, they were stopped from doing it. Why? Because what they wanted to do compromised foundational belief to ignore the cross to pretend that there wasn't difference and there is and so let's not criticise the motive but let's say God don't let us do anything that compromises who Jesus is who God the Father is, who God the Holy Spirit is, what the good news is, the Word of God. Keep us true to those things. But let's reach out with love and compassion to whoever. And here's one that's perhaps even more current. Advertising a conference. Can you cope with this? Queering the church. Beyond tolerance to inclusion at Newcastle Cathedral. This is an event yet to happen. There was an article in The Spectator where someone wrote, not a Christian, aren't you a little bit fed up with pride and rainbows? Hmm. But here again, let's not criticise the motive. We must, we want to be inclusive. We want everyone, as we've said before, we want everyone to feel welcome here. Everyone, whatever your background, whatever your age, whatever your colour, whatever your orientation. We've said it, it comes through again and again in 1 Corinthians. You are welcome here. Whether you're rich, poor, intelligent or not, whether you're academic, whether you're, you're a practical person, who cares? You're welcome here. But we won't compromise what we believe.
And we believe the Word of God. We believe what it teaches about creation and male and female and marriage. That's what we believe. So let's not criticise the motive. Let's understand what brought that about. But let's God help us to maintain a clear, consistent witness to what we believe is the truth, but to maintain that with love, grace, compassion, mercy, forgiveness, and a sense that we haven't got it all together. We all need Christ to remake us and renew us and restore us. And we're on this journey together. We need to be a welcoming church, but a church that stands on the word of God with compassion. God help us to do that. In in these confused days, when things are in your face all over, when a college friend of mine tweets, what's happened to my Barclays logo? It's suddenly gone rainbow colours. It's all over the place. We need to keep our stand, but with grace, compassion. I tell you what, we've got a hard job. We have a really hard job because so many people then will say, ah, you're just being tolerant. You're not being inclusive. We need the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to help us in these difficult but, and challenging but also days of opportunity. Because out there, people are hungry for reality. They're hungry for for spiritual authenticity. They're hungry to know what is right, to know what is good and what is true. But no compromise. Heavy stuff, isn't it? Last point. Paul is saying here, your brother or your sister comes first. Not you, not your own needs, not your own own likes, dislikes or anything. Your brother and sister comes, comes first. These verses aren't easy. Here is my paraphrase of the next few verses. This is not a translation. This is, this is the paraphrase according to me, hopefully getting it what I think it means. Paul says, some Christians, if they go to idol feasts, could easily slip back into old ways and return to idolatry. Now, don't forget, it was hard for the Corinthians, when they believed in Jesus, to leave their lifestyle. It's hard. It was hard. It wasn't that they were in a semi-Christian society which even perhaps we might still claim, they were in a pagan society and it was hard for them to get out of it. And therefore those who were new or those who felt weak in these things, if they went to these feasts, 
they could easily slip back into their old ways and return to the idolatry that they'd left. Could easily happen. Now, Paul was probably quoting the Corinthians here. And where the Corinthians are saying, yeah, oh, come on. Food is nothing. And whether we abstain or whether we eat it has no effect. You know, whether I eat this or whether I don't eat this, if I eat the meat that's been sacrificed or I don't eat it, it's not going to have any effect on me. Come on, come on, come on. And Paul then says, yeah, I agree with you. But be careful. Your rights and freedoms must not cause another to stumble. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with having a good drink. Beware the alcoholic who's come amongst you. Be careful. Paul doesn't. At this moment, he still leaves the door ajar. He closes it in chapter 10. But at this moment, it's still slightly ajar. He says, be careful. Your rights and freedoms should not cause anyone else to stumble. And he said, my main concern at the moment is not the eating meat itself, but the fact that you're going to idle feasts the weak person will see you think it's okay to go to these feasts and will end back in idol worship. Your superior knowledge will have destroyed someone for whom Christ died. And that is a very strong word because the word destroyed there means what it says, destroyed. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that person has lost their eternal salvation, but certainly their life, their Christian life, their witness or whatever, is utterly destroyed. Why? Because you said, ah, the matter. I'll do what I will do. So to sin against a fellow believer in this way is to sin against Christ. Mm. And this is a sin against everyone in the church. Why do I say that from this verse? Because Paul suddenly switches from the singular to the plural. And suddenly he's not just talking about the effect on one person, but he's talking about the effect on the whole. And therefore... we. Any sin that we have, any sin that we sin against someone else, it affects the whole body. And there are many churches around, including this one, who know from the past that when things happen like that, this is absolutely true. That where one person in the body sins against another person in the body, it's not just a private thing between those two people, but it affects the whole And ultimately, it's a sin against Jesus. And that's what happens, isn't it? And we've seen that, and I've seen that. I know it's happened here, and I've seen that in the past when there have been cases of adultery in the church. And it isn't just the two people or the two families that are affected, 
but sadly the whole lot. Thank God that Jesus can still forgive that and Jesus can still deal with that and Jesus can restore that. Thank God that there is still a way through. Paul says then personally, if even just eating meat causes my brother or sister to sin, I'll never eat meat again. Does it mean that Paul's turned into a vegetarian? No, it doesn't. But he's making the point. I won't do, even if it's absolutely right, but if somebody else is troubled by it, I won't do it for their sake. For their sake. So it may be perfectly all right for me to do something, go and see some film or whatever. I don't know. But if it affects somebody else, Paul would say, don't do it. Don't do it. So our example to other believers is very important. You know, we often talk about our example to people outside the church being very important. Of course it is. But our our witness and our example to each other is very important. You know, what what other people see us doing is, particularly those who are young in the faith or new or those who've got to unlearn a lot in order to learn a lot, what what they see us doing is very important to to them. So, if if I don't take part on a Sunday morning, it's okay, isn't it? That's what they learn from me. It's all right. If, if I don't turn up at things and it doesn't matter, that's what they learn from me. If my language is coarse and I let the odd swear word slip out of my mouth, God help us, I don't hear it here, but if it, if it happened, it doesn't matter, does it? Because they learn from me. It does matter. That's what happens. We learn so much from each other just by observing. Hmm. So, our words must be backed up by action. Hmm. Let my deeds outrun my words and my life outweigh my song I think that you know the quote we've sung it this morning let my deeds outrun my words and that means your needs come before mine I'm very tempted to say my needs come before yours, but you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. Your, your needs come before mine. And there's nothing that gives me personally, and I know many others in this church, greater joy than to see a brother or sister, a friend, 
grow and develop and mature in Jesus. To see people going on and growing up in him, that is wonderful. Nothing makes you more sad when you see someone is stuck or struggling and not getting anywhere and you think, come on, there's so much more. And then when that, when that person begins to flourish, that is such a wonderful thing to see. Because that's what it's about. It's about us being the body of Christ together. It's about us encouraging each other. It's about us modelling to each other what true discipleship means. A lot of the stuff I've said this morning sounds really negative, but let's turn it on its head. Let's make it positive. Let's say we are going to encourage each other. We are going to build each other up. We are going to, to see and pray and work to see each other flourish. And I'm going to make sure that you flourish in a, in a new way. That's what we want to see. We want to see us growing together in maturity and understanding. That's what we want to see. This is, yeah, this is negative. Paul had to deal with these negative issues. And fortunately, we don't live in a land where there are pagan temples and all this sort of stuff. But we can take the principles and say, let's build one another up in Jesus. Do you want to do that? Do that on a Sunday. Do that in the small groups. Do that when you meet together. Just socialise together. Just build each other up and we'll see the church mature and grow and it will grow in spiritually and it will grow numerically and we'll see Jesus glorified here. That's what I want to see. That's what I want to see. And I hope you do too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Sometimes the word is difficult. Sometimes it's, it's not easy for us to understand because of its background. Sometimes, Lord, there are concepts there which uh, uh, we have to work our way into. But I pray, Lord, that this morning, as we've looked at these things, that you will encourage us and build us up and that, Lord, we will build one another up so that we may grow strong and become mature individually and together in Jesus. Lord, I do pray for everyone here, and I pray, Lord, especially for anyone who's struggling, for anyone who's hurting, for anyone who's wondering where life is taking them, for anyone who, who has issues that they're facing and you think, God, what am I going to do? Or how are you going to sort it out? What is going to happen? Lord, you understand the hearts and lives of everyone that's bowed before you right now. And we pray, oh God, I pray, oh God, that you will meet the needs of every person here. That, Lord, that, Lord, we will come closer to you. That we'll grow in you. That problems will be solved. Issues will be sorted out. Bodies will be healed. Lives will be renewed. Lord, bless your people here. Lord, we thank you for each other. We're a motley group of people. Some of us have been together for years. 
Help us not to be so familiar that we neglect each other. We thank you for each other. Thank you for all the gifts and ministries that are here. Thank you for that word we had earlier that God wants us to use, you want us to use what we have to invest in this place, to bring a good return. Lord, thank you for that. And help us, Lord, as time goes on, to take hold of you, and you take hold of us, and that we may know you in a new and dynamic way. Lord, I personally thank you for everyone sat here before you now. And I ask in Jesus' name, you'll do them good. Amen.